Previously, in part two of our interview with Pastor Alton Artie. Before I became a driver and I was working in the warehouse, there was a guy by the name of Mark, big guy, big guy. And I was skinny again. I was 170 pounds. I mean, I played basketball, so I was not a big guy at all. I was tall, but I was skinny. And Mark hated me. He called, he was probably the worst one. He was just like, he was determined to do everything he could to get me fired, fire me. He called me to end work every night. I would go to Ray, who was my boss, Ray, Ray Wallingon. He's dead, and I know he was 870 then. I know he's gone now. And he said, Ray, he keep calling me the N-word. And Ray would just shake his head like, Alton, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? You can just quit. Go get another job if you don't want to do it. And, and I know I had nobody to talk to, so I would just take it in, just go back and work and just... Mark would chase me with his high-low. I'd be on my high-low, he would chase me. And every now and then, I would try to push back on him. But he was a big guy. And so one night, he just like, I'm going to beat your butt. He's like, I'm going to kill you, nigga. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And I said, like, all right, Mark, I can't take it no more. So, all right, it's about 12 of us to load the trucks. Meet me at the gas station at the corner. So we're going to get done at 4 o'clock, and we're going to all meet at the gas station. Mark and Alton are going to fight because Mark is bullying me. He's coming in words. He just do that just like regular talk. And so we go down to the station. I'm the only black guy. I want y'all guys to hear that. Mm. I'm the only black guy. And I'm standing out there in the middle of the night, 4.30 in the morning. And there's 12 white guys and one black guy. You're listening to the Classroom and Culture Podcast from Epic Media Partners, where we go deep on all things faith, culture, creativity, tech, and innovation as they relate to education and learning. Please see the show notes for additional info and details discussed in today's podcast. You know, Bob Dylan said it, a hard rain's going to fall. And Jesus said it like this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Look, I don't know why it works this way, but I do know this, God's in it. He's with us, and Deuteronomy 31 says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And all through the hardship, God forms our story, builds our character, and allows us to contribute to his kingdom through it all. And I know this to be true in my own experience. And one day, we'll see clearly. Jesus also said, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Hey, for those of us who haven't seen and yet believed, I think that just said that we are blessed. Last thing, and this is also true in my own experience, God in his faithfulness always speaks and always comes through. And we're now going to see how God in his perfect timing shows up in Alton's hardship and speaks clearly and through his pain calls him, galvanizes him, and sets him on a path. So without further ado, let's dive into part three of our conversation with Pastor Alton Hardy.
I don't know why God allowed this to happen to me, but this is my story. As I'm standing out there, Marcus, big guy, he's calling me these words. And so I'm skinny, I'm fast, I'm trying to trying to fight him, but he's trying to grab a hold of me. And I says, he grabs me, I'm a dead guy. Cause I'm skinny, he's bigger and stronger. There's no way I'm gonna get up and these guys are not gonna help me. And so I'm trying to get away from him. And so I just keep backing up, keep backing up, keep backing up. I hit him a couple of times, I'm quicker than he is, but he's stronger and he's trying to grab me. He's trying to get a bear hug on me. And I just keep backing up. So he like, all right, you keep running. So he goes to the back of his truck and he gets a six foot chain, thick chain link out of his truck. And I'll never forget it. He picks it up over his head and he starts swinging it at me. And I was jumping up or bending down, depending on which way he went with it. Because if he would have hit me, would have killed me. If he would have hit me in the head, would have killed me dead. And I'm, and I'm just, this is just because I'm trying to work a job. And Mark is swinging this thing at me. And then the, I never forget this. The guys are, get him, Mark, get him. And these are guys I work with every night. And true enough, I wouldn't let, God didn't let that chain hit me. And I just kept backing up. And I think he went over towards my car or something. He said, I'm going to bust your windows out, but he didn't do it. And then they all, we all just kind of left. I think somebody drove by or something, the cops or something came, and we scattered. We all went home, and guess what? We came back the next night to work, and that was, mm-hmm. it was like I went into the office. I told them, same thing, if you don't like it, quit. That's what they told me. So that's part of my stories. And uh, wow. <clears throat> so how I get into PCA, the reform faith? So <laughs> yeah, that's a big job. I experienced a lot of racial stuff in Grand Rapids that I really, I think God was, now, I'm, now that I'm 53, God was obviously building a story behind it because I really couldn't, couldn't tell you that whether every black person was a, having those kinds of issues. But I did, and I ended up getting divorced. And um, mm. but one of the things that led into my divorce, I don't blame. That's one thing. But but being married to my ex-wife, she kept saying to me, "Why are you always losing jobs?" I would say, "Because of the race, I'm constantly just being picked on." And she was like, "No, it's not true." I was like, "Yes, it is." And she didn't understand it, and I was trying to explain it. But this last company that I think I tell all the time, how I got into the PCA, this is a story for the ages. I'm married, I got two kids. She's pregnant with my second, my daughter Jalen. And we were having a hard time in our marriage. So I was working at a company. I took another job to be on the third shift so I could be home with my family more. And she worked first shift. So there was the whole purpose of me taking a job, which I took a cut and paid to do. I was making seven bucks an hour. But it was a union company. And once I got into the union, 90 days, my salary would go up pretty quickly because it paid pretty well. But I had to pay my dues, get my 90 days in. So I took and took the 725 an hour. And I was working 11 to 7. And so she worked first shifts. So we could be home for a little time before I went to work. So that was the whole purpose of how I was took this job. And so I was working this job and 
guy comes up to this is in 1992, and uh, he comes up to me, and I have about 60, maybe 50 between 50 and 60 days in, and he comes up to me about one o'clock in the morning. He said, "Alton, get your stuff," and he's calling me the N word. He said, "No, I get your stuff." He called me the N. I said, "What? What I do?" He said, "You didn't do anything. You're just getting fired." and got my lunch pail, walked back to the office. I'm still shocked. I'm like, nah, I'm not really figuring it out. Okay, this has got to be a joke. And and um, this is around in September. He's like, now get your stuff. And I go in his office, and, and this is kind of moving pretty quick. As we were walking back to his office, there was a lot of black guys that worked at this company, but they were in the union. And he points at them. He said, I would fire all of them niggas, but I can't fire them, but I'm firing you. I'm getting you out of here. He said, they protect them, but you ain't getting in this union. I guarantee you that. And so we go in this office. I'm still shocked. I'm not quite, this can't be happening. I, can't, I mean, I said, this is in 1992. This can't be happening. I'm like, no, not again. I'm just like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian by this time. I'm in a church. I'm in a charismatic church. I love God. I've been going to church every day. This can't be happening to Christians. No. So anyway, I'm in his office. I'm trying to think on my feet. I'm trying to think of what I can do. I see where it's headed. And so I go out to the floor and get a union steward. That's the guy who fights for the guys in the union. There's a guy, older guy named John. Never forget, dark hair. Go get John. John comes in, hears what's going on. And my man said, no, I'm firing him. John, get out of here. You know I know the works. I know how to do it. I know the paperwork. He's not in the union. You can't protect him. I'm firing this in his night. And John said, I get it, Jim. Well, why are you firing him for it? Because I want to. I hate them all. And John said, well, Jim, can we talk about this tonight later on when we drink? <laughs> they were so, and you no, know, ain't nothing to talk about. Y'all hiring, y'all keep hiring him anyway. He's, I'm firing this one. He ain't getting in here. I ain't letting no one get in. I'm, he ain't getting in here. And John looks at me. He's out there. I ain't nothing I can do for you. He says, oh, you're not in the union. And um, even though I was paying union dues, but they take it out. But you're not officially in the union until you're 90 days. And he's like, I can't do anything for you. And he says something to Jim. Jim, I'll see you later on. And John leaves. And by that time, I kind of like, I'm in trouble. I can hear my ex-wife now saying, you're always getting fired. What's wrong with you? And I'm, I'm always, the bill's falling on me, and I can just hear that. I'm trying to think through that. So emotionally, and she's pregnant, so I'm like, okay, God, I need you. I'm a Christian. I'm praying. And so I do the only thing I know to do. I fall on the floor, and I get on my knees. I said, Jim, I need my job, man. I said, Jim, I need my job. And I started wailing. Guys, I started crying. I started calling on God. God, I need my job. Please help me, Jesus. And Jim stands over me as I'm wailing and I'm crying. And I just remember him standing over me, calling me every N-word in the world. He goes into a racist KKK fit. But I hear him, but I don't because I am totally out of this world. I'm just crying. I said, Lord, help me, please, Jesus. Where are you? And he's just, nigga, I hate black people. I hate y'all. Go back to Africa. He's, And I'm just crying so loud. 
get up off the floor. I think he wanted to kick me one time. But I'm just, I'm, I have no more nothing left. And then he runs out the door, gets a security. Security guy comes in. I'm well. He said, Oh, you got to get up, man. He said, You got to get up. And I'm on the floor. And he said, Alton, get up, man. I want to, don't do this. And I'm crying. And he's, Get this nigga out of my arm. He's like, He's just going in on me. I get up. He's glad to sign the papers that I was terminated. And I walk out of that company at about 2.30 in the morning. I don't know where I went, guys. I mean, people um, people say, the way you're doing that, I was a Christian. I'd just been fired because of the color of my skin. And, and I just walked home, sure enough. I didn't get any encouragement. Person didn't believe it happened. And I just... That was in 92. I think I just went into a shell. I don't know what happened to me. I was just just dumbfounded by what had just transpired. Make a long story short, um, that company has the same logo as the PCA denomination. It was called Packaging Corporation of America. Hmm. <laughs> and God in the Grand Rapids connected me to the Christian Reformed Church. That's where I came into my Christian, my Reformed doctrine. I grew, I loved it, and I always tell people, if it wasn't for the sovereignty of God, I don't know why I'd be standing here, sitting here talking to you guys. It was God's sovereignty that saved me. It was God saying I was there all along, but you gotta trust me. So I don't know what Joseph did with it, but I think I had a good idea. <laughs> you just have to sit back. God was doing something. So coming to Birmingham, and I got here in 2012. Things didn't go right, and I was here, brought in. Things were promised, and things just didn't go right the, the way that I had thought they would. And so I was contemplating leaving the PC before I even got into it. And I went away to pray going into the year 2013. Being here in Birmingham, I had moved my family down here from Grand Rapids, Michigan, sold our house in 2000. And nine, if you know anything about the housing market was down, we put all this money mm. into our house, so we lost all of our equity. I come to Birmingham, and I don't know anything about the PCA other than its reform. I had been in Christian reform for 10 years, and I had become the kind of shining armor guy, but the denomination was going left, and I was just like, I can't do this. I can't raise up. Man, it was just, it was too much. And I resigned, and so someone here heard about me, a black guy that was a reform who wanted to do urban ministry, and that's how I got down here, a guy from Restoration Academy named Jason Wims and a friend of mine, so that's a long story short, how they heard about me through a friend of mine who lives here in Birmingham, but he used to work up in Grand Rapids. And so I came here in 2012, sold my house, lost money, because I sold it in the time where House that we would have sold it three years later, we probably made two hundred thousand dollars. But we we had to bring a thousand dollar check to the closing, and my wife was always I following you, and we lost all the equity in our house, and we're down here in Birmingham, the place where people say the most racist city in America at the time or whatever the case. I mean the PCA, and you guys got to get where I was. So in two thousand twelve, everything is new. 
I don't know anybody in the PCA. I'm trusting people that I don't know. I didn't go to school with them. And I'm back in the South, and I'm the only person in my family that lives in the South. And things are not going right. And I'm trying to get away from PCA before I even get in it. And out of the blue, I'm praying and crying. And Sandra's asking me, what am I going to do? And um, how this story came about, I was trying to go through the the ordination in the PCA. If you know anything about the PCA, the ordination is pretty intense. Mm-hmm. It's not like any other denomination. It's pretty, you gotta take a bunch of exams. And I had to pass these exams. I had to learn a lot of stuff that I didn't know. I had to just do a lot of work. And um, somewhere in between, somebody made a, a thing and said, well, black people are not that smart. Mm-hmm. I heard about it and I just kind of, I don't know, I, all of my pain from Sardis, Selma, Louisville came back up. I came home that day, I cried all day on my wife's lap. I just wept. And I said, I've been fighting race my whole life. I said, God, I can't take it no more. And I, don't, I moved down here. I don't know nobody. <laughs> what have I done? It just kind of, I just came unglued. And so the guy that kind of got me here, he said, man, take a couple of weeks to think about what you want to do. He said, I can't promise you racism going to go away, but you got to you got to let me, you got to let me know whether you're going to stay with it, go through this ordination and everything else. I said, okay, that's fair. I can do that. And during that two weeks, I said, Lord, I moved my family here. I'm scared. I'm black. I don't know what else to do. And maybe I said, maybe I should have just been quiet, stayed in CRC, and just preach what they wanted me to preach and not try to fight for the gospel in a way that I've come to understand it. I said, what do you want me to do? And then God always does. He spoke to me. My wife was sitting right across from me on, on the other couch. And I'll never forget, God said, Google the company where that man fired you. And I hadn't thought about that story in a long time. You know, it was not like something I always have on my mind. And wow. so I Googled it, the company because I knew the company name. And the first thing that comes up, God said, what does it say? I said, it's PCA. <laughs> <laughs> and the logo is almost identical to the logo of the PCA denomination that I'm a part of. And God said, I have you where I want you. And that was the rest of that. And that's where I've been. And I think um, if I wanted to say anything, why did God allow all that stuff to happen to me? Um, when I was in Grand Rapids, um, I was known for preaching these fiery sermons about race and about the gospel, calling race the sin of Goliath, things of that nature. And I was given a book that was autographed by Dr. King himself an old white man gave it to me and said, God says this book is a reminder to you of your calling. And a guy did a painting on me, similar story. He said, God says, I told me to do this big, giant painting that's up in Grand Rapids on me, leading this kind of um, community of people, black and white, to stand together against the sin of Goliath, the racism giant that keeps coming up every generation. 
And he said, God told me to draw this of you and gave it to me. I have a small picture of it in my house. And it's been all over my whole life. And um, I'm just here in Birmingham, and I've gotten thrown into something that I didn't write out. I didn't know this was going to come about. And I've come to know one thing. Jesus is real, and um, only he can reconcile. And if you would have asked me, Pastor Harder, how did you get here? I would say to you guys, I met a real Jesus, a real Savior. He is so real to me. And some of my best friends are white. And God has done everything he said he was going to do in my life. And then he gave me my life verse, Ephesians 3.10, which is what I've been preaching since I've been here. I started in Grand Rapids. Now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the powers and the rulers and heavenly authorities. The unified church of black and white and everything else bonded together under the banner of the cross. Unified through the grace of God, the gospel of God. And I don't care what nobody say no more. I know who he is. And what I've asked God for, I tell y'all this story. My dad, my mom died first. My dad did some very bad things to my mom, my family. And I heard all kinds of stories. I didn't know my dad. I just heard all these stories about him, who he was, how bad he was. But at my mom's mother's funeral in 2006 in Buffalo, New York, on a hot summer day, I wanted to interview my dad about his own life, about his own upbringing, about who he was, because I didn't know him. And by this time, everyone was asking me about Selma. You know, the people in the CRC, Selma, you from Selma, you from Selma. What about Evans Perry Bridge? I'm like, I don't know what y'all are talking about, but it it started to reflect on me. So I'm gonna interview my dad. I'm at this church. I'm preaching to all these white people. And I'm like, what is God doing in all of this? So anyway, I interview my dad. And he tells me some horrendous stories. And I ask him why he was so abusive to my mom. And he really couldn't explain it. He was just just kind of like was really just something you just don't understand. He just said, and my daddy had a second grade, first grade education. And, but then he proceeded to tell me a story. Um, he said, I work. My daddy used the term work. He didn't even know that he was a sharecropper and he would have to bring in the harvest. And he just said, I brought in the harvest every year. And he said, the guy who owned the land, and I ain't gonna say his name, but he said the guy that owned his land said, I don't got nothing for you, nigger, but you can take those rotten oranges and apples over there and go feed your family. And my dad is 76 at the time, and he's in a, he's in a, he's in a, um, not a wheelchair, but a- uh, Like a walker? Walker. Yeah. And he's sitting in the walker, and we're in Buffalo, New York at Lake Erie, on a summer day and I'm interviewing him with my Dell laptop and he said for 12 years I didn't get no money and as my dad was telling me this story guys and 
My daddy was a hard man. He was a hard man, meaning he worked hard in the fields. He became a grave digger by the end of his life because that was the only thing he could do, dig graves with his own hand, go out and dig those graves out in the Sardis for, the, for those churches six feet deep. And as he's telling me this story, and I'm interviewing him, he's crying. This old, fragile, black southerner. And he said these words to me. He said, son, I lost hope. I fell on the ground that day. I hit the ground. I cried so hard. And I said, Jesus, I will never preach on racism again. If you don't help me, if you don't be with me. I just, racism or the spirit of it had destroyed my dad in a sense where he, he just, I lost hope. And the story goes on, my daddy became a moonshiner, started drinking his own supply, started beating my mom, became a very um, adulterer man, and the rest is history. Destroyed our family. But what the story was told before my dad was, was a man in church. My mom was in church, my dad was a deacon singing. But my brothers and them, they said, poverty destroyed us, Elton. You don't understand how hard it was for us. And the thing about it that I, that I that I think that God has burdened my heart with. This is the property one that I had the deepest struggle with the most was I always say, God, where were your people? Nobody came and brought us bicycles. So we had to eat from that dump. If you ever go to Selma, see those big churches. That's not right. I got a skin color. And I told Jesus, oh, Jesus. So I said, Lord, I know the past. I understand it. The church didn't come to help my father, my family. But I said, going forward, we can't be divided like that no more. That's why I'm in urban ministry. And I'm telling my friends, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta be the unified church. We will no longer be a church separated by pigmentation. And that's what's driving me. That's what I'm saying to the world, to the Christians. No more. No more. And that's what the enemy is trying to use against the church. But I truly believe God is raising up a Christian group that we don't have to lose our gospel, we don't have to lose our faith, we don't have to throw out the Bible in order to help the poor and be there for the poor. We can preach a holistic gospel that claims and calls everyone to the foot of the cross. That's the heart of Alton Hardy. Okay, that does it for part three of our interview with Alton Hardy. 
Coming up in the last episode, we're going to wrap this whole thing up as we hear from Pastor Alton on healing, racial unity, and restoration, and what God's doing in the Fairfield community through Urban Hope Community Church. It's really powerful. You don't want to miss it. By the way, they're also raising funds for a building project that will serve Fairfield and the surrounding area. I'll share more about that in part four, but if you'd like to donate, find out more, or reach out to Pastor Alton, go to urbanhopecc.com. That's urbanhopecc.com. Lastly, don't forget about Epic Friday Five. It's a short email list of things that we find interesting and or relevant during the week that we'd like to share with you guys. It's just our take on some good stuff that you guys can carry into the weekend. Just go to epic2.com, select contact, and subscribe. That's it. Also, we're working on our Q&A episode that we want to build around your questions. So if you'd like to hear Mike Zavada address and discuss topics that you are interested in, we'd love to hear from you. To submit, just call 833-GO-EPIC-2 and state your question there. And lastly, don't forget, Epic has everything your school or organization needs to be your complete remote learning solution. To request a demo and discuss how we can partner with you, please contact anyone from our school engagement team at epic2.com. That's epic2.com. Thanks. We'll see you next time. If you thought today's episode was enlightening, please pass the word. The Classroom and Culture Show can be heard on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, to become a regular listener and receive additional info, please subscribe on your favorite platform today. That's Classroom and Culture from Epic Media Partners. Thanks. Thanks.